I do. I do. I, I think um, collectively, like I said, when we're out on the practice field, we got to treat it like a game, the communication and the um, signals, and, and uh, it can't just be going through the motions and saying, hey, we're going to get it right on Sunday. And I, I think that was the big focus today. I thought communication and intensity had really picked up. All right. The first step in uh, correcting a problem is admitting you have a problem. So that was Cliff Kingsbury yesterday, the head coach of the Cardinals. Uh, when asked if he agrees with what Nick Vigil said earlier in the week that there was poor communication, Nick mm. Vigil also said, yeah, we had problems early in the game on defense because that was the first time we were ever on the field together. <laughs> and people went, wait, what? What did he just say? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's been acknowledged. It's been it's yeah. been talked about freely. Isaiah Simmons talked about it. Cliff Kingsbury talked about it. That, to me, in a way, and I'm glad it's being acknowledged because it was clear to everybody who watched the, that football game on Sunday. Uh, so I'm glad it's being acknowledged, but it also increases the pressure. There's only 16 more of these things to go. Uh, the first chapter was not a good one for the Cardinals. And if they have a, another flat performance, um, you know the the level of belief in this team is going to dwindle to almost nothing, which might actually be a good thing for them. Well, hey, listen, I, I do think that there's going to have to be some desperation here because you fall you fall behind zero and two in an NFL season. It's kind of difficult to get back on track. I believe the figure is eleven percent of the teams make the playoffs. So for eighty nine percent of the teams, zero and two is a death sentence. You're not making the playoffs. Um, but but more specific. Specifically, I just think this last week's game was the second embarrassing performance in a row for the Arizona Cardinals. One of them was on the stage of an NFL playoff game. The other was a marquee game against the Chiefs that brought the network's number one team broadcast team to Arizona. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of damage. That's a lot of reputational damage that you're doing by stacking these kind of performances. So so I think both matter on Sunday. Generally, to me, I've, I, I've been of the opinion... That if you win on the road, no details matter at all. Road wins are they're 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 beyond reproach. Yeah, we've always said it on this show. You right. never have to apologize never. for a road win, even against a bad team in the never. NFL. But but with the Rams coming in the following week, this team better find a level of execution and some confidence in what they're doing. I wholeheartedly agree with you about the the internal belief because if this team is kind of goofy enough to really overlook what was coming in week one against the Chiefs. I, I don't know if they're sturdy enough to survive three straight shellackings to start a season. Yeah, and then uh, what What does that do to the belief level? Um, and, and that week four game, not a gimme either. Going mm -hmm. to Carolina... They've not played well against the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. We're going to get into this um, in a bit uh, about just Kyler Murray, because I, I think this is a big game for him, but Kyler Murray had more frustrations after week one, week one's performance. I saw it in the locker room after the game mm -hmm. um, in, a, in a little snippet, and we also heard about it at the podium when he said you can't feel yourself in this league and and nobody quite knew exactly what he was referring to but clearly he's not happy with some of his teammates or or some faction of this football team so we even were saying that on Monday everybody was bad Kyler Murray was probably the one of the lesser bad ones like he he played it okay it wasn't awful so so it was when okay. you, when you play like okay and everybody else plays terrible. It's got to be really frustrating. On the the Raiders game, though, it's almost like the perfect team to see what the Cardinals really are. Because they are a good team, but they're not a great team. And it's a road game. 
but it's not like you know one of the famous road environments. It's not if if they played like another of the Super Bowl yeah. contenders, you'd be like, well, you know, they played a great team, they lost. You can't really tell if they played an awful team. You'd be like, well, they played the Jets. Of course, they they were yeah. going. This is like a perfect level team to see what the Cardinals really are. And if they and they look bad again, then we're might be. I in think trouble. that's a good point. And also a team in the Raiders that's just coming together, second game under a new head coach and Josh McDaniel. So and a lot of new pieces. One of those new pieces we're all familiar with Chandler Jones now wearing the uh, silver and black Kyler Murray talked about uh, facing his former teammate it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun um, Chan is uh, you know he's a, he's a great dude um, one of the uh, better, best teammates I've ever been able, you know had the pleasure to play with um, it's going to be weird different you know obviously seeing him in a new uniform but you know at the end of the day he's, he's got one job I got one job We'll be able to chop it up after the game, but you know, we're on the field. Obviously, it is what it is. And Cliff Kingsbury talking about, uh, hey, obviously another guy very familiar with Chandler Jones, game planning against a guy who can blow up what you're doing offensively. He's someone I have a great appreciation for because coming in um, from the college ranks, he, he always embraced me and being a team leader. Um, he that, that meant a lot to me and just high energy, always smiling, always treating every person in the building incredibly well, and, and then played um, so great for this this. Franchise, so uh, we have a ton of respect for him, and he takes me the other night, and I just text him back, "Don't hold it against me." And we chip you and edge you with the tight end in the back every single play. So he, uh, we're, we're going to try to handle him, but they got two, you know, Hall of Fame rushers, and, and we understand that, so we, we got to have a good plan. And maybe that'll lead to this growing controversy in the league too about the the chip block. Did you see what happened in the in the Dallas Tampa Bay game? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, Fournette and Parsons. Oh yeah. And there's Pete Von Miller chimed in and said they got to make this out. Stop this! They got to, yeah, yeah, right. It's it is kind of dangerous. It is. I mean, it's 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 basically like a chop block, but up high. But up high. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, you're engaged with somebody yeah. else, and you're getting right. blindsided. Yeah. basically. and then and they, right, and you get blindsided, and there's a, not only are you getting blindsided, a lot can happen on the way down, yeah. and it's it's not good. I I I, I think they got a point about that, to be honest. But I'm, it's still legal for this week. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, it's I I don't think anybody of us would be a surprised if Chandler Jones uncorked a three sack game, but the Cardinals have got to be functioning to the point where they can outlast that, survive that. Yeah, overcome those those yeah. three plays. Yeah. And and we'll get more into this as, as today goes on and certainly on the Friday show, the Football Friday show. With all due respect to Chandler Jones and Max Crosby and that defense, and I got some playmakers on that defense, I'm, I'm again, way more worried about the Raiders' offense against the Cardinals' defense because that, that Raiders' offense can be devastating in its own right. They got a lot of players over there. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, coming up next, we'll continue to talk about the Robert Sarver saga and uh, talk with somebody who was at Adam Silver's press conference yesterday from Sports Illustrated. Howard Beck joins us next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM. Bickley and Murata. And Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM. Arizona's sports station. Yeah, we continue on the Thursday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings. Lots of reaction to Adam Silver's press conference after the uh, Board of Governors meeting yesterday. And most of it surface, or, uh, centered on the Robert Sarver uh, penalty suspension. A lot of questions remain. And somebody that was at that press conference uh, joins us right now. Senior writer from Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck, kind enough to join us here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Howard, good morning to you. 
Good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, good. Um, uh, there was you know, certainly a lot of takeaways to come away with uh, after that session with the media, and I, I, I thought you and, and, and your colleagues did a great job of pressing the commissioner, Adam Silver, on a lot of things. But what was your biggest takeaway when, when you walked away from the, those proceedings? It's a really interesting question. I, I will say, you know, obviously I've been to nearly every press conference that Adam Silver has given during his time as commissioner, and I've known him since before he became commissioner. Um, this was probably one of the toughest days he's had in, in, in his role with regard to just executing something very vital to his role, disciplining um, league officials disciplining a, a, a team owner, but also in the way that it was conveyed. He, I, he, it was not, it was not a great day for Adam. It, re, it really wasn't. And um, I don't think anything that that we asked uh, those of us in that room yesterday. I don't think any of it would have been surprising. I think these were the things you had to expect, given the the circumstances, given the nature of the punishment for Sarver, given the fact that we all saw that Adam Silver's you know uh, big moment in his early days as commissioner was having the the strength and the uh, conviction to ban Donald Sterling for life. And you knew that immediately the first thing people were going to wonder is why is this different? And I think there are, there are good fundamental. Some maybe maybe feel like legalese or policy type reasons that you could say they're different. To a lot of people, it feels the same. Yes. So the the onus is then on you as the commissioner, as the league, to explain very very clearly in detail, to the extent that you can, why Donald Sterling and Robert Sarver cases are different, and why this then justified a lesser punishment. We all may disagree in the public fans media whoever may disagree but you have to at least make a very strong case to the public about why you the nba treated it differently or why you adam silver treated it differently and he's it, it's it's hard that's easy for me to say and it's hard for him to do but that's his job um and it's it is complicated by the fact that when you're trying to explain the differences some of them have to do with things that you, you don't really want to have to say publicly it's, and yeah, right. so the, there, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of nuance there but again that's the job the job is to be clear just like a, a, you know his his role is not strictly political but there's a political aspect your your the job is to sell the public on, on what yeah. uh, you've just decided and, and make them see it through your eyes, even if they disagree, but hopefully you're trying to get them to agree like, Oh, okay. Now I understand why they're doing it this way. And he, he did not successfully do that yesterday. For nearly a decade, maybe even more, Robert Sarver's really been a Phoenix problem. He's, he's now an NBA issue, and I can only imagine how how angry Adam Silver must be to have built such a great direction and such a great arc for the league and, and to stand for, for so many things, and now to kind of have to go and defend what he did yesterday. So in, in, in your opinion, where does this story go? We've seen LeBron react. We've seen CP3 react. Do you think a, a storm is coming on that? That front so it's a great question dan if you uh if your if your uh, listeners can you know just hold tight for about another hour or so here my column will be up soon on si.com <laughs> good and 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 i do actually address this but i'll just i'll just give you the preview now um so 
one of the differences between Sarver and Sterling in terms of the way the public, uh, you know, reaction has been is that because of the tape with Sterling, everybody in real time is like, oh, my God, can you believe what this guy said? The league reacts, people react, players react in the middle of the playoffs. Suddenly players are turning their jerseys inside out and mm-hmm. threatening to maybe boycott, strike, go on strike during a playoff series. And had that happened, you know, the NBA is, is in a really, really bad spot. You have sponsors already fleeing the Clippers and possibly fleeing the NBA. That did not happen when Baxter Holmes' story first came out a year ago, less than a year ago, about Robert Sarver. And there was this kind of everybody waiting, doing this wait-and-see thing where it was, well, we don't have a tape. There is no smoking gun. This report seems pretty uh, well put together. Uh, spoiler alert, it was. Yeah. 99% of it was <laughs> yeah. confirmed. of it confirmed by the law firm. But at the time, I think people were taking this kind of, you know, conservative approach of there's an investigation. Let's see where that leads. And then the investigation took a very long time and they interviewed 300 something people. Well, now we know. Now the report's out. Now it's not just a media report. This, This is a law firm's exhaustive investigation. Many of the things that Sarver initially said were not true. Um, turns out are true or were confirmed by multiple people to this law firm. And so now it's, it's, it's safer in a way for everybody to react. So now we see it. LeBron James, who was very strong in the way he reacted on the Sterling case, but had held fire on this one. Now, now LeBron's out with it last night. Chris Paul, obviously now former president of the Players Association, but still incredibly influential, not to mention, of course, he's playing for Sarver's team. He comes out with a statement. Tamika Tremalio, the new executive director of the Players Association, she comes out with a statement saying Sarver shouldn't have any leadership role. These are the kinds of things that had they been said, and I'm not blaming anybody, by the way, I'm just saying this just as, as a, a matter of, of objective fact, have some of these sentiments been out there strongly over the last nine months, maybe there would have been more of a, a groundswell, more momentum to punish Sarver more harshly than what happened. But because it's happening now, because we're starting to see the sort of uh, uh, you know groundswell of outrage, and especially from the players who are very important in this equation, I think maybe this is just the beginning and not the end. Yeah, that's the preview of my column. That Good. I'm not I can't away. wait to read it. I can't wait either. Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated, our guest. I feel the same way you do. Dan and I talked about it earlier about it seems like this is just the beginning of the storm. Let's go down the road and say that there's no storm coming, that this is going to be the end result, a year suspension. Uh, With the NBA celebrating and and really marketing diversity the way that they do, what do you think that uh, result, Howard, would do to the NBA's league-wide efforts on on those fronts and the message they want to get across? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's a. It's a good question, a fair question. And I don't know. I. I touched on that in the first column I wrote about this last November after the ESPN story first came out, which was that I said that, you know, you can't be the league that promotes yourself as the most progressive major sports league on planet Earth, and and have somebody in your midst who's this influential in your league, one of thirty owners, you know, a very exclusive club saying and doing the kinds of things that he was accused of saying and doing. I think that those things are in conflict with each other. Um, and they remain in conflict with each other. And, and again, acknowledging fully, it's very difficult to remove an owner. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to just, you know, force somebody to, to sell their business, essentially. But that said, <laughs> the NBA is very strong in promoting 
certain values. And I think legitimately so. I think most of the time it upholds those values. I think those values are, are, are legitimate. Um, they don't always uphold them. None of us do. But it is what they stand for. And this is a league that is comprised of 75 to 80 percent African-American players in any given season. And that certainly uh, you know, creates a, a certain expectation level, too, when it comes to anything along racial lines. And, you know, the, the case against Sarver was only partially about, uh, you know, being offensive on racial lines. There was a whole, whole bunch of other stuff that was sexism, misogyny, abusive behavior, bullying behavior, inappropriate behavior. It's, it's, it's all over the map. But because that racial element is there and because of the composition of this league, yeah, you do have more onus on you to uphold uh, certain standards. And you're going to be, you know, I mean, everybody should be held to those standards regardless, but you're going to be held to account even more strongly because of who your players are. Yeah. You, 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 you can't, you can't just ignore it. And so if one year from now, Robert Sarver is, I mean, it'd be a little more than a year from now, but you know, first preseason game, Robert Sarver's back in his courtside seat, I don't know what that's going to look like, sound like, and be perceived by the public at that moment, but I don't think it's going to be positive. No. Yeah, Howard, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining yeah. us. We look forward to your column on Sports Illustrated, SI.com, in an hour. Is that when it's coming out, Howard? <laughs> Anytime now, as soon as I uh, get through the, uh, the, the usual the, editing, the editing gotcha. process. Gotcha. We, we look forward Thank to you, it. Howard. Thank you so much, Howard. Thanks, fellas. Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated. He joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, the big stories of the day through the Rush Hour Reboot with Sarah Cazell. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Auction Community Studios, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Good morning to you. Here on Bickley and Murata Mornings, we are... Well, I'm Sarah Cazell. That's Dan Bickley. Hey. Vince Murata. Hello, Dan. <laughs> that sounds like me for some reason. For somebody, for somebody who claimed they were out of material, you seem to do. You seem to rally really well. Google yes. is an amazing tool. Google. Yes, you absolutely have. And Jarrett Carlin. It's <laughs> the inside of my brain this morning. All right, welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot. Every single day at 7.30, we take you through the top stories of the day. And uh, for the third day in a row, the top story of the day is the debacle with Robert Sarver, the owner of the Suns and the Mercury. And uh, now we have some new developments with the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, who spoke yesterday in the wake of these findings. Silver said a lot of interesting things, guys, a lot of things that really caught my ear as he tried to explain why Robert Sarver's punishment was capped at a one year suspension and not removal from ownership like we saw with uh, Donald Sterling and the Clippers in the last decade. That's the comparison that a lot of people have been making. So Silver spent a lot of time talking about the, quote, context of the findings by this investigation or in this investigation. And he said multiple times that there is more nuance to the situation than we, the 
the public understand. Part of, I think, when you're doing a workplace investigation like this, I think what the investigators are looking at in the environment in which some of this language is used and the context it's being used. And often it is a profane environment where language is being bantered about, etc. So I'm, I'm, I, I think that as they interviewed the witnesses, that's the, sort of the context that's missing when you sort of pull the words out in a certain way. So it sounds like he's trying to explain specifically the five recorded instances of Robert Sarver using the N-word in the workplace and trying to explain away the context as, oh, well, he was retelling Mm -hmm. someone else using that word and he was just retelling the story. Um, Does that make it okay? Does that context make this situation okay? Honestly, I mean, the more you learn, the more you read the more reaction you you go through, I I don't think any of this is okay. Yeah. I mean... That's that's a good way to answer it. I I think, again, I've thought a couple of different things. If you were going to put on on a scale, what is really problematic here? Would it be his racism? Would it Mm. be the culture that he created? Would it be the bullying? All this stuff, the treatment of employees, the workplace culture, the misogyny, that stuff to me... Is is what really is the issue here? This is what's been from day one till now. The use of the N word is what rallies the players and gets people talking and gets the players engaged in this discussion. To me, it's all bad. Okay, oh, of course. But but th- that's the defense that has got Adam Silver locked up. This yes. c- contextual thing. Well, what do you mean I can't use that word? Everybody in my locker room is using it. Now I'm going to name names. And to that point, did you guys notice in watching Adam Silver's presser yesterday that he just locked in on that one particular talking point, did not address at any point the unequal treatment of his female employees, the exposure of private parts by him to employees. Exactly. The exactly sexual language, you know, showing photos of his wife in a bikini to, you know, in a meeting to his employees. None of that was ever addressed. I thought that was very fascinating. Uh, another uh, cut here from Silver, he said that a lot of the reported issues that we're speaking about were from years and years ago, so it's not as urgent of an issue now, not as big of a problem now. In terms of future behavior, um, there's no question he's on notice. Um, he knows that. And I and I also think, though, if you look at the chronology of the sort of the report, that most of this activity goes back many, mo- most of the um, inappropriate activity goes back many years. I would say the son's workplace is um, a very different environment today, even at the beginning of, of this investigation, than it was years ago. I don't think there's any dispute over that. That was years ago, babe. Right. Even though if you <laughs> but that's look not in the report, true. that isn't true. It's not true. And, and Adam Silver knows it's not true. Yeah. That's why I'm saying that dude up there at that press conference was privately burning at, at what he had to say. Well, because- I, I do think, and I don't want to derail you, right. but I do think one thing that has changed to Adam Silver's point, and he didn't get into it specifically, but if you went over the 43-page report, uh, the human resources 
arm of the Phoenix Suns has been cleaned up to a great deal. Yes. And okay, you know, when you go back to the original uh, article from from Baxter Holmes, that was the thing that that shook me to my core was that you know these employees that felt traumatized or wanted to report something were kind of discouraged to even do that at a certain time. Afraid you, you and can't, you can't have that to their their superiors. Yes. Told on. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But well, it, uh, and again, uh, this is from Baxter Holmes on June fourteenth. A longtime Suns employee resigned from the team last month, alleging she became the target of bullying and retaliation by superiors after raising gender equity concerns and misconduct within the organization. Mm-hmm. And if you... If I remember correctly, though, that did not specifically uh, accuse Robert Sarver, did it? Did it? I don't think so, but it's... Uh, but, but again, superiors it's, being it's, the key term the, there. there right. Were, it's the, but again, it's the culture. It's, yes. And in the 43-page report, there were issues logged from 2021. Okay. So if you want to say this was a long time ago, the furthest back you could go is last year. All right. So when Adam Silver says that the culture has changed, things are changing, it's okay. Do you believe that the environment in the organization can truly be a different environment when the root of the issue is still there? And that's Robert Sarver. Yeah, no, that's my answer to that would be no. Because if, if he's evolved, and I've been hearing this for years, and I, and I think he has changed for the better in some ways, but again, to, to be denying all of this at the beginning of it and have it to be proven 90% true, uh, that's that's troubling to me. That's problematic. To I'm me. a skeptic by nature. I, w- I would have to see it to believe it. Absolutely. Or or hear the experiences of those that are you know in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Those who are really experiencing mm-hmm. and this is this is their everyday life. Absolutely. Let's quickly squeeze in the Arizona Coyotes. Guys, they open up their season at their new home, Mullet Arena on ASU's campus um, next month at the end of October. And ticket prices are getting out of hand. This is excluding fees. The cheapest tickets for the Coyotes home opener on October 28th against Winnipeg, no less. They're going for $267 each Oof. on Ticketmaster. Oof. Again, with fees, that becomes $315. Shout out Ticketmaster. Wow. The NHL average right now is half of that. Half of that? 154 per seat versus 315 post fees. So that's the average 315 post fees? No, no, that's what the the Coyotes is 315 per seat with fees. But that's the league average is what's their average ticket price. The cheapest ticket price. The cheapest. Ooh. Listen, Vinny and I, we've, we've talked to people in the last few uh, weeks who have who have tried to buy Coyotes tickets and were absolutely appalled and threw up their hands like, hell no. So this is really an interesting topic. I'm sure we'll get into it at some other time. Uh, in an ESPN story, Javier Gutierrez admitted that the team is charging above league average for their tickets. Yes. And and that that rubs people the wrong way because this team has just been dog breath for the most uh, mostly every season they've been here, and they're going to be based basically in tank mode for their duration of their time in Tempe. Yet at the same time, having said that, they only have 5,000 tickets to sell. Yes. They've got people willing to pay. They're going to sell every ticket, and they do need to build a future financially. Yes. So is it gouging or is it not? Or are they going to sell every ticket at that price? Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. Really? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. There's, they're going to be completely sold out. Oh, yeah. Wow. And but, Master but, does but not reflect pe- that right now. Oh, really? No. Okay. Not close. We, but you really? know, there's, there's I mean, probably five to six now. weeks away. Yeah. 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 But huh? it's supply and demand. It's supply and it demand. Is absolutely. Right. There's, a, but, there's a lot of simple economic principles in this. Exactly. Do you think that's sustainable with the product that they put For on the ice? the first ice? year it is. Probably, probably for the first year, it being so it, novel. But but the, but the diehard Coyote fan, oh, 
who's howl- who's howling at the moon on a Wednesday night in Glendale and then driving an hour and 15 minutes home to Queen Creek. <laughs> We don't know. Is it fair to them? Of course not. It might just be that first game too that has. No, that no, no, high. Jerry. This is this is season long. This is season. There's a, a. If you had seen the ESPN report, which I know you haven't. Not a reader. <laughs> yeah, he's not much of a reader. Yeah, he's not much of a reader. <laughs> is it about hot dogs? I'm more of a color. I mean, again, it, it, you can certainly. It feels a little bit like gouging when when it's that far right. above the average. But right. how far under the average were they for the last 15 that years? And, they were and selling the fact, at 90 right. per seat. And Hilo if they can only sell 5,000 and they've got to build a future, you've got to recoup that money you're not getting. It's so not I, gouging I, if they sell every ticket. Yeah, a, that's not true. It's a fair price if they true. sell every ticket. It, it just means that the whatever the people are willing is willing to be yeah. gouged. Okay, Jared, whatever stop talking and telling us to break. break at the same time. You're talking while well, telling us to break. Stop. You're the problem, Jared. Shut up, Jared. I just don't think that's sustainable is all I'm saying. <laughs> it might not need to be. It might be only three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they get good news on another front. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, That's the Rush Hour Reboot. Coming up next, uh, we're going into week two. Kyler Murray and others talking about his demeanor on the football field. People noticing a change or not? We'll get into it next. It's Bickley Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Have you ever seen him not frustrated after a loss post game? Is that like a new thing for you? <laughs> okay, I haven't either. So <laughs> I've seen him frustrated after wins too. So that's Cliff Kingsbury answering a question about Kyler Murray's frustration on Sunday, and he's right. <laughs> he's not telling a lie there. Uh, Kyler Murray does uh, does wear his frustration pretty clearly. Uh, even after wins at some times. Uh, and that's been a lot of the talk going into this season as uh, the Cardinals get ready for Week 2 in Las Vegas against the Raiders is Kyler Murray's continuing evolution as a quarterback, as a uh, motivating force, as a leader, and about that demeanor, which got talked about a lot last year. When things went south in that final stretch pick, especially in the playoff game, the body language wasn't great. No, um, And, um, you know, people... Had said, um, you know, we were both at the game, and I haven't gone back and watched the whole television uh, broadcast of it, but people said, hey, he looks like a different guy. He kind of looks like he's got a positive vibe on on the sidelines. (laughs) Uh Uh, We'll see if that that actually uh, takes hold. Yeah, listen, he was was wearing it again after the game because, like I said, I I saw, I I witnessed a little bit of it in the locker room, and then he had the direct quote afterwards in his media session where he basically talked about, you can't feel yourself in this league so there's an element a faction of this football team I'm guessing on offense that Kyler Murray probably doesn't think was really sharp or focused enough mm-hmm. and and we've seen this before we which is always very interesting because we've seen and talked about Kyler Murray being upset and frustrated with those around him the finger pointing thing keeps coming up and yet people have questioned Kyler Murray's focus from Monday through Saturday. So it, it's really a weird thing for, I think, for, for Cardinal fans to interpret who's focused and who isn't here, right? Or, or maybe that's just a natural reaction from Kyler Murray after he loses because, you know, clearly he, he didn't get a lot of that in his youth. 
No. Uh, Kyler Murray yesterday talked about it, uh, was asked, hey, why do you not internalize your frustrations at this point? Losing. Uh, yeah, losing. I mean... You can only lose so much until, you know, you just, it starts to boil over and stuff like that. And I've, I've been here, you know, this is a, this organization, you know, as far as since I've been here, we've, we've, we've gotten better each year, but still not the standard and not, you know, how I'm used to playing and how I'm used to uh, doing things on a football field. So, um, yeah, I mean, just closed mouths don't get fed. That's how I see it. So, um, any way I can, you know, give my energy, give my mental to, to a young guy or somebody that maybe not be doing the right things, then I got to do it. And the breaking point on uh, when he stopped, uh, decided to stop keeping things to himself? Like I said, just losing, man. Just like it's, it's, uh, it grinds on you. Um, I don't need to go into further depth, but it's just, you know, um, it comes a time and place where it's, it's like nuts enough, you know what I'm saying? So. Kyler Murray's in, uh, he's, he has increased his expletive use. Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah. His curse game is bananas now. <laughs> that is new. It is kind of new. Uh, listen, this is also a very big game for Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray uh, was very bad against the Rams in the playoffs. He was okay against the Chiefs in Week One. In between, there was all the contractual drama. In between was the bag that he got. Uh, there are national people squawking about the Cardinals not digging him and vice versa. Mm-hmm. There, to me, perceptually, Kyler Murray needs to put forth a good game on Sunday. If because the idea that he is a uh, an elite quarterback in the NFL, the best of the best, that's uh, that's that's a referendum this weekend. Yeah, you know, I mean, use use the word okay. I think that is a perfectly accurate description of how Kyler Murray played in Week One. Was it an upgrade from his last NFL start? Absolutely. Is it good enough? No. Okay, no. is not good enough for Kyler Murray anymore. No, it's year four. And you just got paid. You're one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. It's not all on him. And yeah, maybe there was frustration with other things in the offense. And the Cardinals were discombobulated team wide on Sunday. I think we all saw it. That's got to be part of the frustration. There's been so much talk about communication, but the calendar doesn't stop. Time doesn't stop moving. They're going into another game right now. And if they want to have the season that they think they're capable of, Sunday in Las Vegas is a huge oh, game. Is. Kyler talked about a heightened sense of urgency. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. I think um, if there wasn't, you know, then it's just you, when you get beat like that, you know, at home, uh, game one. Yeah, it's got to. It's got to be. A, it's got to be a wake up call for whoever you know felt complacent or whatever um, internally. You know, you got to look in the mirror individually, and um, you know, do you really want to be here? Do you really want to be great? Like, what 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 drives you? Like. Um, those are the questions I feel like, you know, uh, need to be asked. Yeah, clean you mentioned slate. that again. Wake up call. Yeah, clean slate, lesser opponent, but uh, guarantees nothing because the, no. the, the Raiders, they've got expectations. They've got goals themselves. They lost in week one. We've talked about it repeatedly. Nobody wants to start the week and, no. or the year 0-2. And, and in the Cardinals' case, you don't want to start 0-2 and, and come back and play against a team that has just taken your lunch money for the last five years in the Los Angeles Rams. The uh, One of the things uh, from, from visiting Allegiant Stadium over the summer, one of the things that struck me is is the building's got an intimidating feel to it. It's, it's all black on the inside with silver, as you would expect for the Raiders. Um, but it's also, it, it feels just imposing. It, it, it doesn't feel expansive to the point where everybody is too far away from the field. So I think that place is going to be very, very loud. But 
that might work in the Cardinals' favor. One of my um, dime store psychology theories with this team is that the yucky vibe at home does nothing for this team one way or the other and so i think at least when they go on the road there's there's fuel it's not the everyone's behind us it's the everyone's against us but it's something certainly worked last year it's better than the you know the stuff they got at state farm stadium but i mean ultimately the guys in the uniforms they're responsible for the vibe in their home stadium Oh, and without a doubt, and they've done and, uh, nothing yeah. to create that no, vibe listen, in the last I'm, I'm, six games. I'm glad you say that because I think you've got to you've got to say that caveat every single time. This is not a fan issue. This is a football team issue. Fans react. That's right. In most cases, well, if you give them a, a product they believe in, they will they will give you a home field advantage. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. We've seen it. Have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast. It's brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams, Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Coming up next, man, 8 o'clock already. Time for the blast next. Woo-hoo. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.